Sunday mornings in August, we've been reading through the book of Ruth, and we've, today we've reached chapter 4, our final reading in this lovely book. So would you turn with me to Ruth chapter 4, which you can find on page 269 in the Pew Bibles. Over the past few weeks, we've seen how Ruth the Moabitess comes to Bethlehem, the house of bread, in order to find provision to provide food and also to find a husband. And we've seen how she meets this man, Boaz, this relative uh, who uh, is, uh, has this job of being a kinsman redeemer. And this week, we're going to see how the story concludes, how Boaz is uh, able to carry out his job of redeeming this Moabite woman and her, her mother-in-law, Naomi. So let's hear God's word as we begin at Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so that I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, You acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, then I I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have brought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Machlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Machlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family, or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Epaphra and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, 
has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. And this is God's word. Amen. Morning, everyone. Sam introduced himself. My name's Drew, and I'm a member of the congregation here. And uh, it's, it's a great pleasure for me to take Frank's invitation to uh, share with him and Sam in preaching. I've been preaching for quite a number of years, but uh, every time I preach, my routine is the same. But it's not simply a routine. It's with a sense of unworthiness, and a sense of need that I'd like to lead you all in prayer before I speak. Shall we pray together? Father, by ourselves, as Sam reminded us earlier, left to our own devices, we would walk away from you and worse. With our own understanding, fallen as it is, we can never really grasp what you have to say to us, whether in the preparation of a sermon the delivery of a sermon, or listening to a sermon. And so, gracious God, by your Holy Spirit, will you come to us now, enabling me to speak wise words, enabling us all to hear your word and to respond from the depths of our hearts to your Spirit. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Aha! Suddenly it all falls into place. Suddenly it makes sense. And you see where it's been going all along. You didn't quite see it up to that point, but it all makes sense. Think of your favorite shaggy dog story or your favorite joke. When the punchline comes, it all makes sense. Or if you've been watching Morse, or CSI, choose your own detective drama from from the TV. You're never quite sure until the last moment, and of course, why didn't I see it all along? Well, Ruth chapter 4 is a bit like that. In fact, it's not actually the whole of the chapter that's a bit like that. It's really the end of the chapter where we get the aha moment. And I think if we weren't familiar with the book of Ruth, and for anybody who isn't familiar with the book of Ruth, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have seen it coming. But once you see it, it all makes sense. And what I hope to do this morning is really to to, to start with that aha moment and work backwards into into Ruth chapter 4. 
Uh, Frank gave, gave this morning the, the title of Refuge. I've chosen another R. And I'm guessing that a lot of folk already are a step ahead. Yeah? Yeah? Do you know what the, the word R is going to be? I'm not going to ask you to say out loud, but just give me a quick show of hands if you have a fair idea. Well, you can leave now, okay? The rest of us will just stay here. <laughs> yes, it's, it's a word that's used a dozen times in the first um, seven or eight verses and then appears near the end. It's a word that's one of the big words of the Old Testament, yet curiously not used very often in the New Testament, although taken up in the hymns of the church uh, fairly frequently, and we've sung it already this morning. You'll not be surprised that it's the word redeemer. Now, I've said I'm going to work backwards, so I'm going to get to the word redeemer in just a minute. The aha moment at the end of Ruth chapter 4 is because at the end of chapter 4 in verse 17 and there in verses 18 to 22, the writer says to us, this is where it's been leading to all along. This is where I've been going. Bet you didn't see that coming. And so where is it? Where has it been leading to all along? Well, if you look at the end of the verses that I've mentioned, you'll see twice in 17, and then uh, at the very end in 18 to 24, we're told that the child to be born to Ruth was called Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And in that last word, every self-respecting Israelite, every self-respecting Jew from then to now will say, aha, it's all about David. But I'm still working backwards, so I have another step to take before I get there. Throughout the Old Testament, especially the first part of the Old Testament and then later on in Chronicles, you get these lists of names. And they seem to go on, sometimes they seem to go on page after page, many of them unpronounceable. And you ask, well, what are they there for? And in a nutshell, they're there as reminders every now and again that God has a big story. There's a big story going on here. And that big story moves on from one generation to the next. So every time you get to that list of names, it's marking an end of one section of the story and the beginning of another section. That's why, for example, you have uh, Jesus' uh, family history at the beginning of Matthew's gospel and the beginning of Luke's gospel. This is the story of God up to now, and here's a new section starting. And so quite often you get words like that. These are the generations of. God's story is not confined to one generation, obviously. It's a story that moves through the generations and continues on when one generation fades away into the past and into the lostness of the collective memory of the community. We're still moving on in God's big story still moving on to the next chapter. Well, the center of God's big story, again, I suppose if I was to ask it as a question, I only need to ask the question and you'll give me the answer straight away. If I was to say, who is the center of God's big story? Well, you would 
immediately and rightly say that it's Jesus. Jesus is the center of God's big story. So let's start there and move backwards. If Jesus is the center of God's big story, then Jesus forms the people of God. And so Jesus' story is wrapped up in the story of the people of God because Jesus redeems His people. But it doesn't stop there because the people of God stretches out beyond Israel through the church out to the ends of the earth. God's big story envelops all people. And beyond that, God's big story envelops, can't quite get my arms out much further, all of creation. There is nothing that is left out of God's big story. If you want a swanky word that comes, that, that some of you will have, will have heard before, that you can just drop a, a one or two swanky words for you th this morning that, that you'll drop in polite conversation and everybody will think, dead clever. Uh, God's meta-narrative. Pick out, run that, run that one up uh, every now and again. just means a big story. And the big story is that God is at work in His creation to put right all that has gone wrong to rescue His fallen creation and make it good again, make it blissful, make it heavenly. And Jesus is at the center of that story. Well, if we reach back into the Old Testament, there are various people in the Old Testament that point forward to Jesus, that give us an idea, this is what Jesus is like. Five groups of people the first three, I'm pretty sure some of you will, will echo fairly quickly. These are groups of people that are thought to be like Jesus in a very special way. Prophets? Anybody give me another one? Yep. And, yep. If I was given 10 points for each of those, I'm looking at 40 points for the next one because it's too often left out and yet it's central to who Jesus is. The wise people, the sages, the wise men or wise women. Jesus is the wisdom of God. And then we come to the fifth one, and this is where we stop moving back, because we come to the redeemers. This group of people, not as well defined as the other groups are, but people who in the Old Testament point forward to Jesus. Jesus is prophetic. Jesus is priestly. Jesus is royal. Jesus is wise. Jesus is our Redeemer. And you're a step ahead, aren't you? That's what brings us to Ruth. And that's what brings us to Boaz in particular. So we ask ourselves, well, what, what is this Redeemer thing? What, what is a Redeemer? What does a Redeemer do? Let me just run through a couple of things that that the Redeemer does. If you commit a crime and you're put into prison for that crime, the Redeemer can pay a price to buy you out of prison. Or if we're at war and you're taken as a prisoner of war, the Redeemer can pay a price to buy you back from the enemy and bring you home again. And what was particularly poignant was if you've been involved in an incident where someone has died and you're guilty of manslaughter, 
Now, not murder. Murder was irredeemable. But if you're guilty of accidental manslaughter, then the Redeemer will pay a price and your life does not have to be taken. The Redeemer doesn't pay a price, then you're put to death. So, the Redeemer is someone who gets a person out of a dreadful situation. Or if you have no money, if you've run up a debt and your land is about to be taken, well, then the Redeemer can pay the price for you. Or if your land already has been taken, and this is what it's looking very like for, for Naomi and Ruth, then the Redeemer pays the price and you get your land back. And of course, the land is crucial because there's no other way of making a living for most people in the ancient world. And then bringing it right into Ruth. For the widow or the orphan in the Old Testament, the Redeemer was the one who was there to say, let me get you out of that awful predicament. So, whether the predicament is your fault or not your fault, the Redeemer is there to get you out of that trouble. And you can see straight away, oh, sorry, one more thing. I, I forgot to got this, this last one. I'm only going to mention it and move on because it's not really relevant to this part of the story. The last thing that the Redeemer did was if someone was murdered in your family, then the Redeemer in that family was the one who executed judgment on the murderer. It wasn't the uh, courts. It was the Redeemer within the family. And that gets a, a bit scary, doesn't it? So, all of these pictures taken together point to Jesus. And it's this idea of the Redeemer that, of course, we want to look at in, in more detail now. All of these things are things that Jesus will do, that He has done, and that He will do at the end of time. There's the rescuing of those who are in trouble and who call on Him, and there's the judgment on those who reject Him. Well then, who counts as a Redeemer? Now, I was going to get you to stand up at this point, uh, but I'll not. I'll, I'll just get you to put your hands up, and you can choose whether you're going to tell me the truth or not. This is a question for men only. If you are between the ages of 35 and 70, put your hand up. Okay? Look at these men. All right? Look at these men. These are your redeemers. Okay? <laughs> Scary, isn't it? <laughs> these are your redeemers. The kinsman redeemer, the redeemer in, in the Old Testament, was the oldest male member of the family who was still in good condition. <laughs> <laughs> so, for those over 70s, I'm only joking. <laughs> it was just a random number that I decided on. But it's true. The, the oldest, it was the oldest member of the family. That's the extended family, including um, children, grandchildren. It could be nephews, nieces, and so on. But it's the oldest member who's still in good, strong health, who can take the power that he has and use that power on behalf 
of the people who are in trouble. Boaz, of course, stands out as that redeemer. I'm saying to the mature men here today, gentlemen, yet we stand in a tradition. How do you see your life? Yes, take up that responsibility. Um, I, I'll be doing a, um, a session in a few weeks' time. I was asked to look at, uh, in, in a congregation in North Belfast, a few contemporary issues that Christians ought to be wrestling with. And one of the ones that uh, we've chosen to look at is fatherhood, what it means to be a father. Gentlemen, can I encourage you to take up your responsibilities as redeemers? In the ancient Near East, it was because mature men held all the power. It was very simple. Both the physical power, as you can imagine, men tended to be stronger, but also the social power. It was all the man, the mature man. And the older man, as his physical strength was maybe not as, as much as it used to be, had social strength. So the Redeemer was the one with power who used that power for the weak. On the, for the benefit of those who are in trouble. That's what a Redeemer does. Today, as we explore what it means to be a Redeemer in the Christian church today, can I broaden it out? Let's take the gender divide away. It's, it's, it's not really relevant today uh, as it was in the past. So, for all of us who are mature Christians, can I encourage all of us to see ourselves as redeemers, to see ourselves taking up that responsibility of using the power that God has given to us, or let's use a New Testament word, using the gifts that God has given to us to redeem, to come alongside those who are in trouble, to rescue those who are downtrodden, to stand beside those who are weak and not let them fall and pick them up when they do fall. And as we do that, that points us to Jesus and points those who see us to Jesus. There's an interesting use of the word redeemer here as well. Do you notice it in the last couple of verses? Do you notice the change? Boaz is the redeemer up to this point. But in the last few verses from uh, 13 on, especially when, when the women uh, who come around Naomi after the, the birth of the child begin to speak. They point to another Redeemer, don't they? And this is really strange. They say, Naomi, here's your Redeemer. Here he is. He can hardly open his eyes. He's suckling at his mother's breast. His life is still you know, but in the balance, it was not uh, guaranteed that a child at that time would reach even four or five years old. But they're saying to him, Naomi, this is your Redeemer. And you can see the things that uh, they say in verse 15, he shall be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. Isn't that Fantastic. You see what, what, what we're doing now? You see how we're, we're back at this idea of God's big story? Already, before we've reached the end of the book, Boaz's history. 
and this new child Obed. And the, the name comes roughly from the word meaning a servant. And I'll allow you to take that on yourselves. I'm not going to explore the relationship between servant and redeemer, but it's fascinating. Obed is the one who will become the redeemer of Naomi. The interesting question at this point is when the women are talking, is this to be understood as a prophecy or a wish? Are the women speaking as the voice of God, He will be your Redeemer? Or is this women saying, Naomi, you're going to be old. In due time, we trust that He'll be your Redeemer. Which is it? Haven't the remotest clue. But what we can say is that it's not a foregone conclusion that this child will be Naomi's Redeemer. By no means is it a foregone conclusion. Because this child could grow up, reach teenage years, into maturity, and be an absolute, utter, total, complete scoundrel, couldn't he? He could bring tears to his mother's eyes, tears to his grandmother's eyes, and have his father just shaking his head in despair. It's not guaranteed. So, when we think of who is to be Redeemer and we follow the, 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 the train of the book of Ruth, it leads us inevitably in this direction, doesn't it? You recognize that? Yeah, from, from our church website, pointing us to Kids Zone and saying, along with the women in the book of Ruth, Boaz has done his job. Boaz, for the foreseeable future, is the Redeemer. But a time will come when this child must be the Redeemer. A time will come when everyone who now is strong will be weak, and this child must take up his responsibility. You can see where I'm going with this, can't you? You can see why I put that picture up, can't you? Pointing not only to the work that uh, is done by the folk who lead in, in Kids Zone, but pointing to any of us who have any influence at all over children whether that be within our families, our nuclear families, our broader families, through school, through our neighbors, whatever it may be, so that we, in all of our interactions with children, especially those who are closest to us, are attempting to form them so that they in their day will become redeemers in their generation, and that God's big story will continue on from one generation to the next. Here in Bloomfield, we are richly blessed in many, many ways, but not least in the number of children that we have and in the commitment of those who look after our children in the context of the church, both in the more informal ways of looking after children and in the uniformed organizations, the more formal ways, in the wisdom that our session and committee use in uh, making decisions at their level. We're also really fortunate, and can I encourage you to do this, in the little conversations that I see from time to time, well, not just from time to time, fairly regularly. Someone who's older, talking to a, a teenager, talking to a child, those unnecessary conversations that just happen, can I encourage you to let them just keep on happening? So that we as a fellowship are building up 
a, a generation of redeemers who will take the story of God on in this place. Just briefly then, how do I live as a redeemer? What, what are the actions? What are the things that, that I should be doing as a redeemer? Now, at this point, it all gets a bit messy, I have to say. And there's no short way around this. And all that I'm going to do now is throw out a big idea or two and let you take it away and, and wrestle with it. It's a dangerous idea, and I admit it's a dangerous idea, but I believe it's a necessary idea. Back to Boaz again. And the interesting idea about Boaz is his relationship with the Old Testament law. Because in the story of, of Ruth, both in Boaz's actions and as we saw last week in Ruth's actions, there are things that those who stick strictly to the letter of the law would just not have any dealings with. Remember last week, we looked at uh, how Ruth came and lay down with uh, Boaz. If I put it in contemporary terms, uh, she went to the threshing floor and got into bed with Boaz. It's as simple and as crude as that. And there are translations of the Old Testament uh, that are quite graphic. There are ways of translating that little phrase, uncover his feet, that are much more graphic. Now, you find somewhere in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that says, go and get into bed with a stranger. Well, you're struggling, aren't you? Of course you are. All right, let's go back to, to Boaz. If Boaz had been strictly, uh, uh, strictly sticking to the Old Testament law, he would not have come within a mile of marrying Ruth. Why? Ruth was a foreigner. And of course, that wasn't the worst of it. She was a particular type of foreigner. She was from Moab, and Moab and Ammon are specifically named as those who are not to come in to the family of Israel. Interesting, isn't it? Being a redeemer is not all about obeying the law. You will never be a redeemer if it's all about law, 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 law. Rules, 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 rules. It just isn't. It's about something entirely different. Now, I'm going to come back to rules in a minute, but let me give you your second impressive word. Just a little one this time, but uh, it's a little Hebrew word. And I, I, I don't often do this, and in my, my preaching classes in the college, I tell students not to do this. <gasps> okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, and that is use Greek and Hebrew words. Generally, it's just a bit of showing off. Um, but I wanted to put that up because it's translated in different ways in the Old Testament. Sometimes it's translated as love, and that's a pretty good translation. Of course it is. Who am I to, to argue? 
Sometimes, as in Ruth, in a number of occasions, it's translated as kindness or kindly or kind, something like that. Some of you will just thrill when I say to you, actually, I think the King James Version has got it right. The, the, the translation of the King James Version is very often loving kindness. And you can see, bring the two ideas together. It's a generosity of spirit. It's an openness that says, I want to do good things for you. I want to use the power, the gifts that I have for your benefit. And I want to do that in the context of being absolutely committed to you because it has the idea of committed loving kindness, not just a one-off act. And that's what a Redeemer does. A Redeemer acts with loving kindness. Can I come back to the the law, whoops, I thought it was coming back. Yeah. The law. Please, please, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying set aside God's law by no means at all. But what I am saying is loving kindness is based on God's law. It does not treat God's law lightly. Never, ever, ever. But it is also lived with God's wisdom. Knowing how to take the law of God as we have it in Scripture and how to bring it to bear in this situation or that situation. What does it mean, for example, to discipline a child? What does it mean to bear witness to Christ? What does it mean to stand for righteousness in the workplace? How do you do it? two traps that we fall into. One is being so hard and legalistic that everybody turns away. And the other is saying, well, it doesn't really matter. Let's just be nice to everybody. And curiously, everybody turns away from that as well. Whereas when the people of God think of themselves in their families, in their communities, in the world as a whole, as people of loving kindness, people who are committed in Christ Jesus to showing Jesus to the world by living out God's law with wisdom, then we take up Boaz's mantle and Obed's mantle and David's mantle. As they point forward to Jesus, so we point back and say, that's what Jesus does. That's what he does. Jesus sees need. Jesus sees lostness. Jesus sees brokenness and slavery and destruction and pain and says, let me redeem you. And that's how we're to live. It's a scary idea because you can't write it out you can't say, here's a formula that works every time. You have to think it through. You have to work it through in your own mind. But fortunately, Jesus hasn't left us alone. In the fellowship of his people together, his spirit comes and his spirit leads us, his spirit guides us if we're open to that guiding. As a fellowship together, 
and as individuals. Jesus says, that's the way. Go ahead. Jesus, my Redeemer, taking our place in God's big story. See that little title that's been just tucked away there at the top through the whole thing? Taking my place in God's big story. Is anything coming to your mind at the minute? Again, obviously, I'm not going to ask plainly. And you're thinking, I, maybe that's a word for me. Not talking to the mature men, particularly, of course, they're included, or even to mature men and women. I'm talking to everybody of every age because there's no age limit on this redeemership, is there? From the youngest person listening to me now to the oldest, anything coming to your mind where God's saying, actually, I need someone to point to me in that situation by being a redeemer of that person's pain? Maybe we should pray about it. Let's pray. Lord, you are the one who is the Redeemer. And you call us to point to Jesus as your Redeemer. As we become little Redeemers in his name. May his wisdom be ours. May his courage be ours. May his insight be ours. As we go in your name. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you that in your providence this book of Ruth has been placed into Scripture. Help us as we seek to reflect on what you have been teaching us from it in recent weeks. Our hearts are thrilled as we see you work in the lives of two women whose circumstances we would think could only lead to misery and despair. And yet we have seen you work out your plans and purposes through them and the kinsman redeemer, Boaz. Lord, may this be a story of encouragement to us when in our own lives and in the lives of those whom we love, things seem to go tragically wrong. Help us to trust you for the bigger picture. And Lord, in the stillness of these moments, we hand to you now those situations that lie heavy on our hearts. And we pray that we will in time stand in awe of your outworkings and we will understand more fully what you are doing and the lessons you want us to learn. Lord, 
give us patience. It must have been so hard for Ruth and Naomi. And we, like them, have our doubts and our frailties. Lord, we praise you above all that we have been clearly reminded that you had a plan too for the seemingly catastrophic consequences of man's sin and disobedience. You sent the, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be our Redeemer. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, help each one of us personally to accept him as our Redeemer and so walk in newness of life and in expectation of life everlasting. This morning we have just given of our material goods and we pray for all those who have oversight of its wise stewardship. But Father, you know for many of us our heart's desire is to know you more and to be known as yours and to become more like you in your death. And so we want to respond to your call that we might be willing to serve as redeemers to one another. We realize that this is an immense challenge. We are living in a world now where we hide our vulnerabilities at all costs. Our time has become so pressured that close relationships are deemed to be satisfied by a quick text or email or a cup of coffee in a busy schedule. The end result is that we are becoming more isolated and doubtful of our own self-worth and acceptance. God, open our eyes to see people from your perspective. Yes, Lord, it's scary, and we wonder if we could ever have a redeemer role with another. But help us, Lord, to step out in faith with the courage you give to be a loving, caring, sensitive support as and when needed. Give us your wisdom that we do not go in our own strength or following our agenda. This morning, Father, in the silence too, we want to bring to you those known to us at this time facing difficult situations, health issues, loss of all kinds, work pressures, financial concerns, those exhausted by caring. Help us, Lord, to accept those that you sent to be our redeemers as well. And help us to be to others the instruments of your redemption in their lives. Our Father, we are so conscious that our community so needs redemption as well. Many have turned their backs on you, and yet half a million people will this afternoon gather for a service to celebrate your death and resurrection as our Redeemer. Use that occasion televised around the world 
to turn people's thoughts from the sins and deeds of the past to the hope for the present and for your place in their lives. Heal those who have been hurt and may all our churches show how lessons have been learned that such mistakes should not occur again. Let your light and love shine for all to see. Revive us, we pray. Father, we thank you for the Holiday Club this week and all the boys and girls who were here. Bless them as they prepare to return to school. For those starting or moving school, for young people with decisions to make following exam results, for those going to university, we ask your help for them, each one. We realize to all these as adults, we are called to be role models. Jesus reminds us of the dire consequences of leading young ones astray. So Father, we ask indeed that we might teach them how to be redeemers to one another and in their future service for you. Watch over and protect them, each one, and help us in our roles as mentors, parents and grandparents. Help those of us who are older to be able to pass on some of the things you have taught us and help us to encourage younger leaders and help them not to make our mistakes. Thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you that as we bring these, our intercessory prayers to you, we are reminded that you are interceding for us before your Father's throne. Help us to make prayer a priority in our lives, our families, and our relationships. Bless the preparations for the forthcoming week of prayer, that it will be a time of real blessing. And be with Dr. Benini as he travels to join us and give him a hassle-free journey. These things we pray in the name of our wonderful Redeemer, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>